Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Restore Podcast, Episode 5, a resource to help restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen, and I certainly hope that this monthly podcast conversations with their different themes but same emphasis is a resource that will help everyone in one way or another in their journey as disciples of Jesus. I want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast so you can easily be reminded when each episode is out every month and please please share it with others. On today's podcast I have a conversation with the pastor of the Florida Hospital Church, Pastor Andy McDonald. He has been the pastor there for over 30 years, uh, something that is not often seen in our faith community, that is having the same pastor for that long. And we had a wonderful, lively conversation, uh, starting from the time he got there to basically present day and what that journey has looked like, not only for the church, but also for him as a pastor through all these years. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're blessed. And without further ado, here it goes. Andy, we want to welcome you to the Restore Podcast. We're so glad to have you. And um, I know that you are a busy man. And so we are delighted to have you and uh, to take a little bit of your time uh, to spend with you and uh, get to know you. Uh, Florida Hospital Church, very well-known Florida Hospital Church, at least throughout Florida. I don't know about anywhere else. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so I want to get right into it. Okay. And um, I want to ask you. Uh, tell us a little bit about when you first came to Florida Hospital. What year was it? Eighteen? What I mean, nineteen? <laughs> well, you know, 19, you, you just said I was a very busy person. That's about. That's not that's complimentary or not. <laughs> you know, people need to get their lives in order. That's a good thing. Yeah. No, I came. I came here in uh, July of nineteen eighty four. Okay. And uh, to be a youth pastor, mm. uh, I had I had been pastoring in Georgia Cumberland Conference for mm-hmm. four years. I'd just been ordained uh, in May before that. And then the offer came to come to Florida Hospital Church. And so we came down, we looked at the opportunity, and um, it had an office at the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one secre- office. One office and a secretary and the senior pastor. I came as the youth pastor. Okay. And um, I was here from July 1st until about uh, somewhere March, April, when the senior pastor took a call. And and so he was leaving, going away, and I... Um, I was transitioning, and I thought, "Oh no, who am I going to work with next?" You know, kind of thing. <laughs> but um, it was it was a the church was when I came to be youth pastor. People laughed, so why are you going to be a youth pastor at the Sand Church? People still call it the Sand Church back then for sanitarium. Oh wow, really? Yeah. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm I have a, a daughter and a baby on the way. We'll have two youth. We'll just we'll, we'll grow some from there." <laughs> okay. But there were some youth here, and of course, the nursing uh, program from Southern Adventist University at the time had a dorm full of nursing students as well. Mm. We worked with. Mm-hmm. And, how, how big was when you say the youth was only a few people? So tell us, you were coming to the youth, but how big was how, how many youth were really here thirty two years ago? Uh, well, and we had probably a high school group of about mm, maybe. 10 to 12, I don't okay. know. Okay, all right. And, and then we had a, a young adult group that would sit in a circle of maybe 10 or 15 chairs on okay. a good week, and um, and we would just try to get people to come. We'd say, yeah. Please, they'd come and visit, we'd like, please stay, please stay, don't leave <laughs> us. And uh, they would come back, hopefully. And it was, it was a very, um, a lot of senior citizens. First three years I was here, we had a funeral a month. Wow. Um, and so... People thought I was killing the church at that point. <laughs> You're burying them a lot. Um, okay. So 32 years ago, you came as a youth pastor. Not that many youth, a few young adults. Um, out of curiosity, who was the senior pastor at that time? Senior pastor was John Fortune. John um, Fortune. He was a British background guy. John's a great, great person. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had three boys and had just had a little girl. And, okay. and uh, they, when they moved away... They after they left, they were having conference committee meetings to talk about you know what they do about the pastor. Mm-hmm. And I remember Tom Werner, who was the president of the hospital at the time, his wife was our uh, office administrator person and secretary and stuff. She uh, he said, "Well, now I'm going to meet with the conference, and and anything you want me to tell them." And I said, "Well, 
tell him if age comes up, I'm under 40. I said, I'm also <laughs> under 30. But <laughs> so, no, don't mention that. Anyway, so they, they uh, because I think the relationships I had with people and the, the my love for cross-generational folks, I was not stuck just as loving just the young people. I, sure. I liked everybody. And, and um, I think the conference thought that church is going to die anyway. Let's let Andy kill it. And so <laughs> we can put him there. Okay. So that's a good transition. So about killing the church. So obviously you haven't because it's been doing pretty good in the last um, uh, 30 plus years. So t- tell us. Tell us as you transition to become the senior pastor, um, how many years was that into after 1984? And um, what was the average attendance? What did besides the youth and the young adults? What did the church look like at that time um, in this community? And you know, for those that haven't been to Orlando or this area where Florida Hospital Church is at, um, it's it's one of the more well known churches because it's right next, obviously, to uh, the beast of our health <laughs> uh, facility. Aside the, from Loma Linda, the largest Adventist institution in the world. Okay. That, yes, the largest Adventist institution <laughs> besides no, Loma Linda. Not, no, no, B- bigger than Loma. Linda. Bigger than Loma Linda. Okay. So, uh, so we're in this hub now, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's multiple churches, other Adventist churches in the area, but it seems that in one shape, form, or another, somebody always comes in and just wants to peek in to see what's happening at Florida Hospital Church. What is that like? Uh, you guys have created um, some pretty cool, interesting videos in the past that have, uh, 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 to some degree, grabbed the Adventist viral aspect of it. Um, and so, uh, it's a well-known church. But again, back in the in the eighties, it was not. So, tell us again at that time when you became senior pastor. You know what was going through your mind? What was a church like? You know, look like at that time? Well, I, the church was. Um was a challenging church because we had lots of great new churches or churches in the area. I wouldn't say new, but Markham Woods Church was relatively new at the time. It was sort of the happening church in Orlando. Person moved to town, you just assumed they would gravitate to Markham Woods. How far is Markham Woods from here? Markham Woods, ugh, it's up off of 434. Let's see, it's probably 14 miles, I'm going to guess. Okay, so in, like with that, our traffic, 10, just so 12. that people could know about half hour from here. Yeah, give or take. 20, 20 minutes to half an hour. Okay. Depending on traffic. And then... Um, the, the residents at Florida Hospital would come, and mm-hmm. we would want to try to capture them, but they would oftentimes go to other places. So we began to, to really think about how do we capture people. So I had not been here a year. I'd only been here maybe about uh, nine or ten months when I became the senior pastor. Wow. So I, I moved from youth pastor to senior Very pastor. Very quickly. Really quickly, uh, although I still love youth. Um, that summer, I was the youth pastor, the senior pastor, the Pathfinder director, and took the kids to Camp Hale in Colorado. <laughs> Mercy. Besides that, you didn't have much to, uh, you was, to do. I was sort of bored. The church um, was filled with some really good people. Uh, attendance on a good week was probably around – it averaged around 200. Okay. That was sort of the steady pace. I, I don't know that myself from counting people, but uh, Don Bradley, who was a longtime member here, he would sit on the back row, and they counted the people every week just sure. for – I guess entertainment. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, the church. The like I say, I, I followed John Fortune. He had this British background, so he had split the chancel and had the big pulpit and the little pulpit kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, I'll never forget. Uh, I wanted to put the pulpit back in the center. I, I just thought that was important to me for some reason, and you know, centrality of the word. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I was talking to one of our members about that, and they said, well, let me just, why don't you put the pulpit back in the middle? Now, you can tell everybody that one of your members suggested that. Mercy. So I got up the next week at church with the pulpit back in the middle and said, hey, one of our members this week suggested I put the pulpit back in the middle and just keep those good ideas coming. Mercy. <laughs> now, the, the church was down behind the hospital where the Adventist University of Health Sciences is, is okay. located today. The library for the, college, the university is our old worship center. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of on a dead-end street behind the hospital, sort of tucked away back there. And one of the thoughts was immediately is how do we even be known to the community uh, when you're sort of located back here in this hole? Uh, so we try to begin to think about ways we could reach out. Sure. Okay. And so as, as, time, as time continued and as you were trying to find ways to reach out, so how, how did you transition a church of 200 um, over the last 30 years? To a church of uh, what's the average attendance to your both of your services? Uh, we'll now? probably run seven something. Okay, so over that time you're about seven something plus uh, the influence you have online. Um, and again, so how how did you feel that that transition happened over the course of time? Well, I think we be- we sort of began by recognizing where we were. Uh, we we had meetings with uh, members. Now that I think back about that, mm-hmm. and talked about what's our 
who are we going to be? Um, I remember we were, the facility was in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some, really, really sort of run down. And I remember taking Goran taking pictures of all the bad spots and having a business meeting. And when I put the pictures up, there'd be audible gasp from the audience because when you're at church, you're visiting with people. You don't yeah. you're not looking at the mold on the walls, or the paint falling off in the bathroom, or you know you just, you don't think about those things because you're engaged with people. Mm-hmm. But when I showed pictures of the of the challenges, big hole in the ceiling in my office, and you know we all of a sudden it's like, oh my, we have to do something. And so we raised, we tried to raise the understanding that uh, something that I've always been felt very strongly about is that the physical plant says something about the theology and the beliefs of the people who worship there. Okay, so let me slow down here. You say the physical plant says what? It says, I think it sends out a message to the community of about our theology hmm. and about how seriously we take the God whom we worship. Okay. Yeah. And so we said, what can we do to bring this place back to a, a representative level? Of the um, God that we worship. Yeah. Across the lake, driving by on 1792, the road that goes across the lake there, mm-hmm. you look across, the church didn't look bad from a distance. It was only when you got up close that it was got a little scary. Okay. And so we, we began to develop plans for renovations to uh, renovate the worship center, the exterior, to put a new foyer on the building. There was no foyer. Our lobby was our whole lobby at that church was about maybe I'm going to say eight by eight. Um, those are feet, not hundreds of feet. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were like outside, or you were inside the worship center. There okay. was no hardly in between. So we decided to, to think about putting a big foyer on, some new classrooms for education mm-hmm. to be able to begin to move toward the future and embrace that. And that was a pretty aggressive plan at the time. Um, before that. Mm-hmm. We had this situation where people, when church got out, people, it was like there were vacuum hoses in the cars that just sucked people back into their cars out of the doors of the church. So I would say amen at the end of the benediction, mm-hmm. and literally in 10 minutes, you could lock the church up. It, wow. They're, they're, it's like people just ran to their cars and drove off. And we said, we, we need to be interacting with each other. And so one of our members, a longtime member here, Elsie Fecundus, uh, suggest that she was going to start trying something. She was going to try to meet somebody every week that she'd never seen before mm. and talk to them, and somebody she saw regularly but really never visited with and get acquainted with them. Mm-hmm. So I said, Elsie, it's a great idea. I said, can I steal it? And so we <laughs> created this whole program called Undercover Greeters. Undercover Greeters. Undercover Greeters. And so Sharon Werner, my secretary, and I, we, we, we sent out one page or two pages of the director each week, an invitation So it said something like, you know, the church has, uh, you've been selected by your church to serve as an undercover greeter. <laughs> your assignment, should you choose to accept it, would be, you know, kind of thing like a Mission Impossible. Right. <laughs> and uh, just get acquainted with a new person and get acquainted with a person you've seen but haven't really talked to. Just two people each week. Okay. And so I, I, that, that word went out into the congregation, and nobody knew we were doing it. Uh, I never even told the board. I asked the board, can I, can I invite all the members to take an office? And they said, sure. You know, they didn't care. Yeah. And so... The first week, you couldn't tell any difference. People come out the front door into their cars. But by the third week, you couldn't get from the front door to your car because this big concrete area out in front of the church was just packed with people talking to each other mm. and began to get the congregation to engage with itself first right. before it would be able to engage with the community at some point. Okay. So that really began to change the feel of the church. Um, um, so we were really hoping to, you know, anybody come would feel like they wanted to stick there and be part of what was going on. So, so what I hear, the two, two of the main, well, at least two of the main things of what I hear is number one, you mentioned I think something important is that the, the, your theology and the essence of that are are where we worship as a whole, where we gather to have our worship experience, um, determines in essence um, our theology of what we believe in God. So regardless of whatever place, whoever is listening to this. I think what I'm hearing you say from that is make sure that the place where we're meeting, wherever that may be, big, small uh, location, is a place of excellence as right. best we can. For, for a long time, we could not do anything about the physical plant. Right. And so we, I, I, we just made an inference. Just let's make sure it's clean. Let's make sure the bushes are well trimmed, the grass is cut well, that it looks as good as we can make it look with, with the condition it's in. Right. Um, I, I wrote an article a number of years ago for the review about – a church that uh, actually had a planter out front, and somebody was out working in the planter, and mm. one of the members came by and said, "You know, are you, you a deacon, or are you, do you knew?" Or and finally, the person said, "I got to confess, I'm a neighbor." 
And Uh-oh. I just, this looks so bad for so long, I had to do something about it. <laughs> it, was, it was dressing up the church next door, to his, oh my next door to his house. But the physical plant, um, as we tr- began to want to expand that plant, mm-hmm. it became real. We tried to raise money. We ro- raised funds. Uh, we worked hard. We worked with an architect and, an, and a, a builder. And to make that church larger and do what we want to do renovation-wise, we said six hundred thousand dollars is all we can spend. That was that was stretching us way beyond our comfort zone. Okay, they came back and said, "Well, we need to go to seven. We need to go eight. Finally, mm-hmm. they came to nine. We said, "Look, we don't know where this money's going to come from. This is you're, you're way over our head." Yeah, and uh, we locked them in at nine hundred thousand. And when the bids came back, uh, actually, when they put it out to bid in June, we got those bids back in July. I'll never forget one point eight million dollars. Oh my goodness! Double. And so it was double, and we were already like way over our heads, thinking nine hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And so we just we just stopped. And I remember having a business meeting with the congregation and talking about, okay, we have six options. We could sell the church and divide the money among the members, <laughs> <laughs> go our own ways. You know, we can merge with another church. Uh, before I got here, there had been a big uh, consideration of merging with Crest Memorial Church at the time. Uh, we talked to Central about the possibility of merging with them. Uh, then Crest came back eventually and said, how about merging with us? And we finally said, okay, this is crazy. But we said we could merge, we could sell, we could um, just close the doors and be done. Uh, looked at a bunch of different options. Or we could say, what are we going to do to be significant to this community and make a difference here? Mm-hmm. And uh, that fortunately they said, let's, let's stick with it and see if we can make a difference. So even for your realm, the other aspect is this is a huge leap of faith. Oh, it was it – was, um, they, they were there were lots of leaps of faith along the sure. way. <laughs> From nine hundred to to which was already a faith based, yeah. it, it to double that. That's yeah. to me a huge leap of faith, at, especially at that time right. that you guys were not where you guys are at right. now. And so we just we backed off. We just simply said we can't we can't that that plan will not work for us. I have okay. this. I have a full set of those working plans in my office. Forty thousand dollars set of plans. We never did one thing with. Mm. A very painful moment for me. Wow. And. Uh, and then it wasn't long after that that our um, our congregation, um, our air conditioning went out. Mm. And our, we had big chiller tower behind the old facility, so it wasn't like a unit. It was like this massive have-to-redo thing, which we didn't know where, where that money would come from to put into that place that we couldn't afford to renovate. Mm. So we, we moved into the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then there was camp meeting at that year. And so we went to camp meeting, and when we came back – I had arranged with John Knox Presbyterian. We began to rent there. And about the same time, Adventist University of Health Sciences was starting okay. uh, for, the, for a hospital college at that time. What year was this? Oh, man, you're, I knew you were going to ask me that. The preliminary discussions that hadn't actually started, but this was in the like late 80s, early 90s. Okay. And so we worked with uh, the hospital, and they traded. We traded the piece of property down by the, by the lake. Where they had been since their inception, they started. We started on the porch of Florida Hospital, then to Little Winya Chapel, then to the building that I came to, and we set, we abandoned the the peninsula on behind the hospital, and they got gave us this block of property we're on today. Hmm. And so, in that exchange, I always laugh and say I, I trade a piece of property we never actually own. We just had squatters' rights <laughs> to for a block of property worth about one point five million at the time of trade. Okay, and we began to to plan to build this building. Um, work with the architect. We worked with our building committees. Um, we raised all the money we've been raising for renovation. We continue to raise money, uh, that kind of thing, and we built this building. It was two point four million, mm-hmm. and when when we built it. Excuse me. And uh, I remember our finance committee chairman at the time said, we'll be bankrupt in three months. We can't make our payments. This is $14,000 a month. There's no way we can pay that. Hmm. And, uh, you know, sort of miracle after miracle. How, how many were you running in attendance by the time you were doing all this renovation here? Well, it's interesting. At, at John Knox Presbyterian, we, were, we actually ended up renting there for four years. And people hmm. thought this, this church is going to just wither and die renting a church this is gonna be a mess and we actually grew consistently for those four years and we had to set everything up and take everything down every right. week i mean they were very very particular generous price-wise but particular and we were running about three to four hundred uh okay. there in our in our attendances at, at, at john knox 
when we opened the doors the first week at the hospital church, we had 500 people here. Mm. And so it's like, who are all these people that weren't part of us, you yeah. know, and now they are. And then we thought they'd go away. And then after I went to camp meeting again a couple of times that year and came back and they were all still there. We were still here. And so. Okay. So as you guys were growing and as you guys were already moving forward, building the new, you know, this place, this, you know, this new place here at new at that time, um, you mentioned something because we're talking about the building, so I fully understand yeah, that we should have a, ha, have a have a beautiful. No, it's it's <laughs> perfectly fine. But my job is to also uh, kind of push you a little bit in the aspect of you got the building because you believe that was the essence of 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 what we build is really to the God and for the glory of God where we're going to come together. Uh, you mentioned about having the uh, people come in and relate more together right. and that really helped a lot into getting the congregation to know each other because as you grow it becomes harder and harder for you to know everybody sure um because that's just the way it is you know i i think like this is just my two cents you can you can correct me but i think uh, uh, like a baseline number give or take of 200 the pastor could pretty much know mm-hmm. everyone but once it starts growing above 200 it becomes harder and harder for the pastor to really 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 get to know everyone in the church so as you're growing tell us why do you think the church was growing? So here, here's a very direct question. Was it growing because this is an Adventist ghetto, as we would say? Oh, no. Was it growing because you were reaching the community, or was it growing because of both? Um, why do you feel the church was growing, besides having a nice place to right. come and worship? We, we moved into this facility in 1993, and when we moved in, uh, we still call it the new church. Okay. <laughs> but, the new church. But when we moved into this facility... I moved in here in May, and then on the first Saturday in July, we began to have what was called downtown community. Okay, uh, Downtown community was a service for unchurched people, and it happened every Sabbath evening at 6 o'clock, mm. at, or 6.30, I forget now that it's been, I think it was at 6.30, 6.30, and that happened at the same time year-round. So part of the year, it would start after sundown, which really hurt. Adventist heads, yeah. you know, we're going to church on Saturday night after the sun's gone down. There's, there's something wrong with this. Um, and then sometime in the summertime, you'd, you'd have you'd have the program, and there'd be two more hours of daylight afterwards. Yeah. So it was, it was it's, but we wanted to keep the same hour. What had happened is I was working my doctorate at the same time. Um, okay. So we were building, the, we built the church, and I was working on my doctorate on that's a lot with some associates sometimes, and sometimes by myself. And we. Um, I was at one of my doctoral classes, and the guy handed me a little cassette tape. What's a cassette? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Go exactly. Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he handed me an audio tape. How's that? <laughs> an audio piece, and I listened to this this thing, and it was um, it was a it was a talk by Bill Hybels at mm. Willow Creek Community Church. Okay, and I, it resonated with me in so many ways. I I can't even tell you. Um, I thought finally there's somebody who's doing church like I've always thought church should be done. Mm. And so I, um, I had been, I had done public evangelistic meetings in, in seminary, and also after seminary, I was pastoring the first churches up in Georgia, Cumberland. Mm-hmm. And then we had a series of meetings. When I came here as youth pastor in July, there was a full regular three week evangelistic series in October. That's the last one we had here. Okay. <laughs> in 1984, <laughs> the last evangelistic series you had. So explain explain for those who may not know. Here we go. We may get in trouble for this one, but anyways, just um, explain for our for our faith community. We kind of understand when we say evangelistic series, but just in case yeah. and there are people who are not part of our faith community or are sure. learning about our faith community, what do we mean by evangelistic series? These and in, in, in my day, they were usually about three, sometimes four weeks long. Uh, they were every night, except for maybe one night off during the week. Right, and the, a public evangelist from the conference would come and hold meetings and give the talks and presentations. And the object was to get some people baptized uh, it, by the end of the series. Right. So th- somebody would come in, and they would have, which we still do them today, sure. right, um, in many different places uh, for four weeks, and mm-hmm. they would meet back in that time. Sometimes five weeks. Sure. Right? So, every, oh, yeah. yeah. Every yeah. day. Yeah. Do, of the week, except for maybe one day off, mm-hmm. and mainly speak about uh, the, the the doctrine. Well, mostly it was actually based upon eschatological uh, messages, but right. but in which we we couched our Seventh Day Adventist beliefs and right. Daniel Revelation. Daniel Revelation, okay. oftentimes that's right. And so the one of my concerns had always was always that when we do our evangelism in that methodology, that it is short term. 
Mm-hmm. It's it is a form of, and I don't I mean this in the most positive sense. It's going to sound negative. It's a, it's sort of a hit and run. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a person that comes to those meetings uh, as a as a non believer, just looking for knowing Jesus and understanding what a church is all about, if I don't buy into the whole package of Adventism in those three weeks, there's a good chance we'll never see each other again. Mm. Um, I quit coming. The evangelist leaves town, and it's sort of over. And for me, I really, I've always been sold out to relational evangelism. Mm-hmm. So that I believe that that the, a friendship, a friendship is the bridge by which Christ gets into most lives. Mm. And so, if, if that's the if that's the case, and if you interview people who have become Christians and they say, "Yeah, it was John, my neighbor," or "It was Bill, the guy I worked with," or "Sue, right. that I went to aerobics with," or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's how I became a Christian. And I thought, why are we spending all this money uh, if we can just use those friendship bridges that already exist? So we try to begin to train our congregation that no public evangelist is coming. If you don't do it, it won't get done. Hmm. Okay. And, and that was often that was a lot of that was rooted in the philosophical basis from Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, where they had a, a real clear principle of building those relationships of integrity and beginning to share a witness with Christ and inviting a person to church and you know helping them learn stewardship and what it means to use their spiritual gifts and then they develop friendships and it just keeps going around and around in circles. So actually, just doing what the Bible says that followers of Jesus should do. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> basically, yes. <laughs> okay, and so. so uh, and I'm sorry. No. So how did you? Because the average person, pastor, if I can say it that way, is going to listen and going to say, "Well, how did he get people who were used to the quote unquote traditional way, a very traditional church?" Yeah, with a very traditional church at that time. Again, this is one of the points I want to get across: is that people come into Florida Hospital Church now and they say, "Okay, well, they're not traditional, clearly," but. <laughs> Um, and, and that could be We're good. Not? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> and some people will come in, will love it. Others will will will, will not. It's just sure. that's that's fine. Sure. Yeah. Let's just be honest about that. But the bottom line is that you had this passion, this desire after hearing this audio uh, from Bill Hybels, and you contextualized it into our community of faith of what they were doing. So how did that transpire? Well, first of all, I I actually then after after I got that one. Listen, mm-hmm. I, I was intrigued. I immediately signed up, and the next February, February. I don't know why I went to Chicago in February, yeah. but I went to Chicago in February. Actually, we got uh, delayed. Had to, I spent the night in Cincinnati on the way to Chicago? Mercy. I was a day late to the conference because uh, it got snowed in. Anyway, we it, we had. I went there and saw it in person. Listened mm-hmm. to the leadership conference and thought, "Oh my." Now, this is just amazing. I got. I remember getting home and just talking a mile a minute. My wife's like, "Where did you go? And what has happened to you?" You know, kind of thing. And I was just so excited that somebody understood a relational a relational approach to evangelism. Um, so I took that. I made copies of the tape or bought extra tapes, and mm-hmm. I passed those things out to a bunch of our members, our board. Uh, I began to then plan. To, we took people back to to Chicago the next year. Wow! I took. Um, like just a handful, and then we took like 20 uh, eventually uh, up to Chicago to be able to experience that and see what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then our groups in – the, in the meantime, our groups were talking about how can we, in our context, try to develop a, a, a service, a worship service, but it's not really a worship service. It's more of an evangelistic service that happens every week mm-hmm. that's for unchurched people. Okay. And uh, we kept planning and working and planning and working, and that, that began in July, and that went for nine years Basically every Saturday night, mm. I was laughing. We were talking about keeping a balanced life, and I said, "Well, yeah, you know, most Sabbaths I don't really do much after church. I I start to keep leave church, and then I'm free until Monday morning." And my wife looked at me like, "What about those nine years? Like you were back at the church by three o'clock, doing a full rehearsals, that's right, and setting everything up, and then doing that until seven thirty, and then you know talking to people until eight. <laughs> yeah, what 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 if you've forgotten that? Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So it was we probably overdid it a little, and we got really tired. Um, and also philosophically, some things changed. We began to we began to after nine years, we began to believe that that the relational bridges we could bring those people to our worship service that had also transitioned from being very very traditional. We still had both, but uh, we had a, a more contemporary service, and they could bring them straight there versus having to have a special service just for them. Okay, so at that at, at that point, you were again. It was. It was becoming a lot for you having these nine years of doing this all mm-hmm. day, all day Saturday. 
so then you were transitioning the church to say, what you guys were doing Saturday evening, let's do it Saturday morning. We could bring, we could bring elements of both, uh, both the uh, Church for the Unchurched mm-hmm. and, and, and a contemporary culture. We could bring some of that into our worship service and have a, 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 a meet both needs simultaneously, okay. which would save a lot of time and energy kind of thing. And, sure. that's, and so that's what we did. We you know, every church goes through good days and bad days, and we've had some heydays, we've had some bad slumps. Sure. And uh, so we had, I don't know how soon you may get to the slumps part. Uh, well, before, <laughs> before you get to this, this may help with that, with the slumps part, but let me back up just a moment here. Sure. When you were talking about that you sent, you guys sent like 20 people to mm-hmm. the conference, uh, you handed out tapes. So you were basically, and this is very, very key, as you guys were transitioning, it seems to me what I'm hearing you say is that you made sure that you were first resonating with your leadership, um, sure. that you, that they understood, or at least as best they can, those conversations were being had before you guys actually really began to make the move. Lots and lots and lots of one-on-one conversations. What did that What did that look like? Especially the ones that were for and the ones that were, I guess, against. Yeah, we didn't I didn't have a lot of resistance, hard resistance against. Okay. Um, Philosophically, because right. I sold it on a philosophical basis. I, I talked about it from a missional standpoint. You know, okay. the, if the Great Commission is true, and how are we going to fulfill it, and what is that going to mean in contemporary culture, and what if we could do this, and what if we could do this, and what if we could do that? I, I asked a lot of questions to try to spark them to think on on, the, on a new vein. Mm-hmm. And as as they began to do that, there were there were some there were some people to push back when you actually start doing it. Right. Uh, but the but the but what was really great is we were able to make this transition having a new service on Saturday night that we clearly said to the congregation, this is not a worship service. This is a service designed for people who don't even understand what worship is about. Hmm. And so by having something that didn't mess with the morning holy time. Right. right. The divine. <laughs> the, the, the divine hour. <laughs> divine hour. Yeah. That, then that gave, that gave us a lot of license uh, to, to do some really fun and creative and energetic things. I mean – very much of a timed service. We we were one hour long. We we had drama. We had music. We had uh, physical items on the on the platform to illustrate things. Yeah. It was it was a very much intense, uh, immersive experience with very very sharp, clear transitions to to move that thing along. And over time, it developed a hunger in our our worshipers uh, to say. We'd like to have a tighter worship service. We'd like to have better transitions. We'd like to have a programmatically honor God more by its being very orderly and very well put together. Mm-hmm. And so it really helped transition us that way so without, without having to mess with their services. When we started flipping services at the church, we'll, we can talk about that in a minute, um, mm-hmm. we, we got a lot more pushback about some of those things because we began to mess with their their worship life. Okay. Um, so during that time, before we get into transitioning the service at the church here. Um, what did it look like as your as the church members, the leaders, uh, were interacting and now with trying to disciple these new believers, hopefully that were coming to these services, these this uh, service in the evening. So, what did it look like as they were interacting with the community as they were coming in? They were changing the demographic of what perhaps the church looked like at that time or would look like. Sure. How, how did that take place? Because that's a big transition. When we start getting new people and we're really reaching and doing God's mission, and uh, it becomes messy. Right. People don't like messy. Well, one of the things that was really clear to me, you know, people would push us, why aren't you doing advertising for this? Mm. And I said, because our whole model is built upon the people who come come because they have a relationship of integrity with the mm. person who's already here. Got it. So if you're coming on somebody's arm, you're, it's a lot safer place to come than if you're just sort of wandering in. Now, we had some wanderers in sure. as well. Uh, our baptism rates were better during those years. Uh, we, we had some just great stories of people that just you know found God kind of thing. And we had members that stepped forward and uh, began to offer class during Sabbath school time on Saturday morning with – uh, basic beliefs of Christianity and walking through the Bible and what Adventists believe and some of those kind of classes began to surface uh, from our lay people to to offer to, to help train people and help them understand more. So, so part of the whole thing, and I think I want to make this clear, was that the whole basis of how it was transpiring was the fact that simple. It was a simple one hundred and one of me inviting my friends to this um, 
time, if you want to call it a worship service, to what was happening Saturday evenings as a time to be refreshed, as a time to be challenged, as a time to learn. And most people at that time were inviting their friends. Right. So discipleship really happened naturally. And we and we were very, very much about uh, Ministry of Healing 143, you mm-hmm. know, Christ's method alone. That We think that matches the whole relational model. It is, it is still the strategy piece of our vision frame today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our strategy. Our strategy is go mingle with people, win their confidence, meet their needs, sympathize with them, and eventually invite them to come follow Christ with you. And so we really think that's a, still a great strategy uh, that we sure. will not let go of. Uh, okay. So now tell us. So as you guys were transitioning <laughs> and it came over here, and you say, okay, now we're going to start changing things a bit of what's happening actually here, now, no longer in the evenings on Saturdays, but what is happening in our current, quote-unquote, worship right. experience. So what did that look like? Well, we had started, before we moved into our new facility, we had started at John Knox having a uh, a more contemporary service and a more traditional service. And as soon as we moved in here, we began that same, we had that same thing. We had a nine o'clock contemporary, mm-hmm. and I use that word very cautiously, um, service, and, and, and then a, a regular, just normal, uh, traditional church service happened at 11 o'clock. Well, as time went by, and that, that, we, that went for a number of years, we, and then we went through some major sloughs. Uh, we, we, we did some revitalization through using natural church development and studying that very carefully and mm-hmm. trying to up our short slats on the barrel kind of right, thing. Right. And then uh, back in mm, 2006, seven, eight, somewhere in there, we brought in uh, Eastman and Bandy consultants uh, hmm. to look at our church in depth. We we weren't doing anything badly. It was just it felt like a malaise and a stallness, uh, a staleness. So when we brought the consultants in, we did serious pre work. We did self studies, filled out lots of paperwork. Okay. So wait, let me stop okay. here because most you don't hear this in too many churches. So when you you guys brought in a a, a consulting firm, there, there are consulting firms that go around and they evaluate how people are doing church and how mm-hmm. they can better do it and better fulfill the mission of God that He's given us. Uh, so. Wow, what did that? What was that like for the people, for the leaders at that time, as they really started digging deep into what you guys were doing? So you guys were really assessing. It can get personal. It can oh, get very like personal. you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, uh, and and it could be even be depressing at times. Like it seems like we're not doing anything right. So what? <laughs> explain that for those who may not really capture what that really means. Yes. Well, one of the biggest confusions that took place in the whole part of bringing a consultants in was they. Somebody got under their, the idea that the board wanted to bring the consultants in, and they were then they were some people were very defensive for me, thinking, "What are they trying to do to Andy?" Kind of thing. <laughs> and I had to I had to actually publicly remind people, "I want you to understand, I, I'm the one who has encouraged the board to invite the consultants to come in. Wow. Uh, this was this is something I think our church needs, and I believe in this kind of thing." And it, and it was it is a little unnerving uh, to to look that in di- that kind of in depth, sure, sort of. What everything you're doing, uh, from from how you mow the lawn to how your signage is in church to how you invite people to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. is and to look at everything, uh, how your classes and uh, staffing ratios and who's doing what, and I mean it was just it's very, it could be very intimidating. Sure. Uh, once we had all of our pre work done, when the consultant was actually here, he would meet with different groups during the day. And at the evening, the whole church was invited every night for four nights wow. for him to do a report out to the congregation and uh, to tell him what he had learned that day and what those implications were for the church and how we should be doing things differently. And I mean, and then we get this big, you know, sixty or eighty page book at the end that tells us all the stuff we're doing wrong and how we can fix it. And <laughs> so this was two thousand six, seven. Or yeah, so. I may have been 2008. Because on your website, six, six. and here I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it out Uh-oh. here. I'm I'm pulling out the You're website. Testing me now. <laughs> I'm, I am, and it says that in 2009, uh, you guys adopted a new mission and vision. Right? Okay, that's right. That and was so, and part of that was as a result of was that part of the result of of the, the consulting group? Right. We we are we had a mission for years. Uh, it was uh, because of the grace, acceptance, salvation we find in Jesus Christ, Florida Hospital Church exists to build relationships between God and man. A you lot go. of words. Uh, that was an old one. And now it's loving – I'm just going to go ahead and say yeah. it. And now it's uh, loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. That's your mission. Right. We we um, – <laughs> okay, all of you who pastor churches, just listen up. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, uh, well, I, I, I've made some major mistakes in my ministry. No. Andy, oh, major, no. major, major, major ones. And, and almost always they have roots in my desire 
to to have a more laissez-faire let let the let the vision and the mission and let the church leadership sort of arise from the congregation okay mm-hmm. and i still believe that very strongly i believe you have to have the congregation be part of that whole process sure so i'm i met with our board for i want to say 3 years um i mean it's a serious amount of time yeah trying to work on our vision and mission values all that stuff and we would talk and we would have workshops we had retreat we we worked and worked and worked and we just didn't get anywhere and finally i said okay andy you're not doing your job hmm. uh, your job is to lead you're the, the assigned congregational leader here as the pastor why don't you write out something and then bring it to the board and say this is a first draft let's fix this you hmm. know and move it to where we want it to be and so finally that's what i did i i Wrote some things down and said, "Hey guys, I have this is I have no ownership issues. I I will not my feelings won't be hurt. We can tip, right. strap things, out, change it completely, but we have to start somewhere and let's get something done." Yeah, and uh, and that's when we finally we talked about. I had talked about just make the gospel commission our mission, you know. Mm. And so really, we believe our our mission is sort of the gospel commission reworded, um, loving okay. people into lifelong friendship with God yeah. is really. The gospel kind of thing, and so, but so this going back to that consulting firm that came in, this kind of flowed out of everything that was happening at that time. Um, right. You know, at, at this point, it was about seven years ago, seven, eight, or you know, um, um, and so what. I, I I'm still kind of fascinated by the consulting firms because you don't see too many Adventist churches do mm-hmm. that, um, and so as you were going through that and. You got that eighty-page booklet with mm-hmm. all the findings. So, in in a nutshell, give us the top three findings at that time. Well, okay, both um, positive and uh, <laughs> concerns. Oh boy! Okay. If I don't follow up on that, people are going to kill me. You're like, wait a minute, how do you not follow up on that? So, well, uh, let's see. I, I think one of our one of our big findings was um, was was something really simple: signage. Um, okay. You know, we all assume we know where everything is and how to get to everything and what things are, and so our signage was dismal um, about who we were and where things were. I mean, simple. Where's the bathroom? I mean, to okay. to to, out, to outdoor signage yeah. to all of that kind of thing. So we got very serious about that for a while. Um, let's see. When I come in, I know where the bathrooms. Yeah, are. I know where the bathrooms are. That's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> So give me some give me some deeper stuff before uh, well, the bathroom. Well, probably um, divisions of labor among our staff and mm. and how and who does what and why they do it. Okay. Uh, so we looked at those kind of opportunities. Could we could we reassign some things? Could uh, the roles? The biggest change uh, was for me. Okay. Okay. Talk to us about that. So um, I love pastoring. Let's all start there. <laughs> and what I love about pastoring is knowing the people. And serving the people, sure. I, I love family systems theory. I love hearing about how people are connected and just yeah. exploring their stories and how they connect with God. And I, I just that's all just sort of fun to me. Sure. Um, but when a church passes about seven eight hundred members, sure, that role has to change as well. Hmm. So no longer can I be all things to all people. Hmm. Um, my, I, I practice a very open door policy still to this day, but it's a it's a it's a little less open, sure, um, kind of thing because my role has to shift from being doing all the I don't I don't counsel as many couples, sure. I don't spend as much time in people's homes because my job is really now to oversee our staff to make sure that people are doing their job in that inner circle. And so it's just a, it's a it's a gear shift of management style, and I mean I literally probably at that point uh, when we had the consultants come in, we probably had about I don't know eight hundred on the books maybe or a little more. So about four five hundred attending. And, and, yeah, and so but I could I could have told you by looking at the picture or seeing them in person probably seven seven hundred people I, wow. I could have gotten their names right. Hmm. So those bridges those links. And then I remember, I remember as part of the process somewhere going on my first sabbatical, and uh, coming back after three months and like, there's people here I don't know who they are. This is sort of scary. It's my I thought I pastored here. Yeah. And uh, I remember even last time I got up to preach on my first Sabbath after sabbatical, 
And there was a girl who had come here. Her first Sabbath had been my first Sabbath gone. And she's like, she remembers leaning over to one of our associate pastors and said, Who's that guy? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know. But but it's a change of of role. It's a change of function. And it can be very it can be very dis sort of dis uh, dysfunctioning for a person. Yeah, uh, uh, start. What, what do you call it when you get dizzy? Um, disequilibrium. Okay. Uh, from really to think about how do I lead? I mean, I used to take every phone call that would come. I would, mm. I would change light bulbs. I would climb ladders. I would, you know, yeah. I was very, 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 very hands on on tasks that I shouldn't have been doing. And after the consultant's visit, really shifted and was able to hand off a lot of stuff to other people in in a sane way. Still understanding, I have a say, and I get to speak into those things. Right. So you had to have like a, a 2.0 shift. You had to kind of shift your leadership. And for for those who are who are listening, who maybe are just are in a church of sixty, seventy, or multi church uh, district, or um, they're lay people in that mm-hmm. in that aspect, um, pastors that have a membership of two, three hundred, uh, that maybe just have a single church, and again, also talking to the lay people there, the the leaders, what would you suggest counsel to them? When it comes to, at some point, in order for the church to continue growing, you're going to have to shift your leadership at that time. You're yeah. going to have to perhaps reinvent yourself. Because as you were saying, it seems to me, and they can't see you, but when I when obviously they can't see you because I'm the only <laughs> one who can see you. But as I see you, when you talk about it, I can, I can still sense in you that that was a time where you, you had to let go of certain aspects. Mm-hmm. You had to readjust in a way that you had been leading for such a long time. And could it be that sometimes some leaders Either they know that, but they don't do it, or they just um, aren't self-aware that they need oh, well, to do that. I think, our, think? I think our denomination as a whole, yeah. by, the, by our, the rapidity with which we move pastors mm. uh, from church to church, don't, don't require the pastor to have to reinvent themselves. So if I've got a, if I've got a formula that I, that worked really well in my first church, mm-hmm. and, and I did. I mean, I had, I, had a, I had a plan, you know. Very, I can remember very distinctly this this three phase kind of plan that I wanted to work in in my congregation. It, it was a good plan, and it, and it worked for the three years that I was there. You know, but, <laughs> I fully understand. I, but if I but if I had stayed there, it would have required a new plan. Right. That that was that that three year plan was not a thirty year plan, and so to to recognize that if we if we're staying in ministry, even if we make a move. Uh, to not necessarily go back and do what we've done before. Sometimes we need to do exactly what was done before. If the church needs that, we evaluate and say, "Oh, this church needs this. They haven't been here yet. We can repeat we can repeat stuff." Mm-hmm. But the, but if we move before we have to reinvent ourselves, the temptation will be let's go back and just do that again. That worked really well. Yeah. Uh, what what's comfortable to me? And uh, if, I, if I think I'm only going to be there for 3 to 5 years, I don't need a 20-year plan. Yeah, I need a three to five year plan. One of the one of the smartest things we did in this congregation was when we built this facility. Mm-hmm. We this is phase one mm-hmm. of a master plan. Okay, and we had a picture done that hangs in our worship uh, hangs in our hallway of the big plan someday, the major worship center, another whole other classroom building, all that kind of thing. Having that vision for the future, even the even if we never get there, changes the way you think about the church. Mm. So all of a sudden. This is not yet. We're not done. Yeah. Uh, we're on this. We're only starting. This is this. We we need to keep moving to the next thing and always be moving to the next thing. So, so what I what I'm hearing you say is that no matter. So part of the issue is that in some conferences and some aspects of our faith community, we do tend to move pastors in two to three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been a product of that, and I fully understand that. But I fully understand also. I've I've I've. When you're in a place for three or four years, you almost, at least in my experience, um, feel like it's time to shift. It, it, and it is. Is that is that fair to say? So you've been here thirty years. Now that's that's we shift a lot of gears here. That's a, that's a, where I'm going to go right here. That's a lot of gear shifting because the reality is there's there's probably a handful right now existing of pastors that have been thirty years. The average person that is is listening to this as in leadership, pastoral leadership, is in the Adventist community, is is not going uh, to be in their right. church for 30 years. Sure. 
so I'm literally speaking to an anomaly in our church. And so it's it's you, Dwight, uh, uh, Randy Roberts, and I could probably name a few more, right, that have been. Isn't there a club of, like, pastors? That have, <laughs> we, we do get together. <laughs> so it's true. Huh? It's like an underground aspect of pastors that have been in the same place for a very long time. So, but, again, going back to the shifting of gears, I mean, really, after three or four years, what I'm hearing you say is that you need to evaluate your leadership and say, where's the church at? Because this, this applies to every church, not well, right? Yes, and, and it's, it's just a basic principle of, of leadership, period. Yes. Um, we, all have, we all have moments when things are bad, mm-hmm. and things are, are grim, and they're tough. And it's, in those bad moments, it's really easy to say, what's wrong? How are we going to get out of this mess? We've we got we to grow this. We've got to change this. It has to, be, it has to be done something new to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when it's very... It's not hard to figure out that you need to get the jack out of the trunk and you know jack the car up and change the tire if it's flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the tire's just worn and not flat yet, we may not even think about having flats. Mm. And so to anticipate the reality that when we when things were tough and things start getting good, we start going up and it's going up and everything's like oh man, everything's just cranking. Yeah, that's the time right there when everything is cranking. To sit down alone with a group of friends in a prayer circle somewhere and just wrestle with, okay, what's going to be next? Hmm. Because what happens is if, and, and we did it here, there's no question. Our church was doing great, gangbusters, doing great things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then eventually you peak. Hmm. And then you, if you come all the way back down the other side of that yes. bell curve, you got to start at the bottom again and say, okay, what are we going to do? And that's why we pulled in the, the consultants. They didn't say anything to this congregation that I haven't said. Yeah, they really did. Sure, but having another voice come into it with a lot of study and a lot of intense looking at it, we were able to say, "Okay, how do we go back up again?" And we've already changed the curve a couple of times since the consultants have left, uh, and and always are constantly looking for what can be next. What what wave can we catch? What's the next thing that we can move the church up on? So, so leaders who are really leading, are always looking at what's next. Yeah, Posner and Coos and Leadership Challenge, which is a great book on leadership, they say leaders do five things. Okay, what's the name of the book again for those who may want to It's called it. The Leadership Challenge mm-hmm. by Posner and Coos. I'm not going to spell those for okay. you because I can't. They can Google it. <laughs> they can yeah. Google it. But they do five things. They challenge the process. They inspire a shared vision. They enable other people to act. They model the way, and they encourage the heart. Mm. And... We have to just keep doing those things over and over again, and we have to figure out what am I what am I challenging right now? What process in your local church, in your congregation, in your circle of influence, what are you challenging that could be done better? And then, okay, now what's the vision going to be for that? How does that fit God's vision and all right. that kind of thing? And 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 how can you help? Can I add that? Because right. oftentimes, as pastors, we get challenged with this or that, and then sometimes. Uh, the people don't really help. They just want to challenge, but they don't right, want to help. Right, right, right. <laughs> so this is what you should do, so go and do it. Right. Right? I'm sure you've never had that happen to you. No, never. Um, but So let me ask here, kind of shifting gears just a little bit here. Um, some people might say the, the uh, question that is probably in people's minds, uh, but never perhaps asked because they don't have your ear, but I have your ear. I have both of your ears at this time. <laughs> and they say, hey, Andy, you know, you, you've been here 30 years at the uh, – at, at, at thirty plus years at Florida Hospital Church, you have there's uh, you know money. It's backed by this big institution called the hospital. You guys are on the hospital every Saturday morning for whoever wants to tune in, and you have all these facilities now. You have all of this aspects, and so it's easier for you to say and uh, do what you do there. <laughs> Right, Pastor? But look at me over here. My, I, I have three churches, um, or I'm planting a church, and you know this is the way we're doing it. So. You know how do I? How do you speak to to those within our conference, outside of our conference, uh, just in general, saying that? And I'm hopefully by the, what they've heard of your story um, here that it, it it didn't always start this way. It evolved over the course of time, if I can mm-hmm. use that. But what would you tell them? Would you say um, what else would you tell them? I, I should say saying, hey, you know, um, I'm here now, but you know, let let me let me tell you not just what you've heard the last forty five minutes. Um, and we were a church of 200, um, and uh, we were renting a place, and, and this is where we're at now. But what else would you would you encourage them with and maybe challenge them with? Well, I, I really think it's really important that people understand that the hospital is across the street, and it runs its program, 
and really doesn't have much say at all, either directly or indirectly, and certainly not economically much. Uh, <laughs> okay. Inside <laughs> we, scoop here. Right? I would love to have them just tithe over here. No, they, uh, <laughs> It's it's there. It's nice to be on their campus. There are definite advantages in the community for having the name Florida Hospital in your church, sure. uh, because of the name recognition and the connection with the community and the good the good feelings people have about Florida Hospital. But as far as a direct asset to the church, um, it's it's in, it's in more subtle ways. You know, like I'll have people move here to work for the hospital or who are great lay people in our congregation. Mm-hmm. That's a benefit. Can't I can't argue that benefit. That's a sure. great thing. And a lot of people come here and start their careers, we see them for a year or two, and then they're gone. Oh, and that's really painful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you lose some great, great people over the years. A lot of turnover and transition. Is a lot of turnover and transition, much more like a, a campus church at a college kind of yeah. thing. You have people that come and then they go. And, right. of course, with the university here now, that, that exacerbated a little more, which is, which is a great asset, and it's a liability all at the same time because you, you want to build continuity in, mm-hmm. the, in the program. Um, what did you ask me? Um. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? What would you say to pastors, lay leaders, uh, leaders in general uh, of the church that say, "Well, Andy, you have ah. all of this here at, at Florida Hospital. You have the money. You have the hospital. You have mm-hmm. you have all these facilities, um, all these resources, and so it's easier for you to say what you said." Now they've heard your story sure. now, so okay. that's why I'm leaving this well, question for last. No, it, I I never, I have a saying, and I've said it for a long time. The, the, the issue is really never about money. Mm-hmm. We always like to think it is. Um, we will like to we like to blame our inability to do whatever it is we think we should be doing on the fact that there's just not enough money. Yeah, uh, m- money follows vision. Yes, yes. And, and so, when this little congregation uh, that was small and yet vision filled was able to even to build this building and to make the payments, we paid this building off in eight years. Mm. Um, and and at the same time, finished off third floor, which was another seven hundred thousand dollar project. Wow! But that wasn't because we had these giant donors. I mean, it really wasn't. It was amazing. The if you, if you looked across the board at our donation, uh, it was it was lots and lots and lots of medium and smaller donations. There were a few some good sized chunks of of donation, but I think when we built this building, I think maybe we had one fifty thousand dollar donor. Mm. I mean, it was a lot of 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 participation among the congregation. Yeah. The other thing, we've also been very careful to entrepreneurially look at our facility. Hmm. Um, just a little sideline here. Okay. Um, we rent the facility uh, back to Florida Hospital for classroom usages to other entities in the community. We have a church in here every Sunday and have always had a church in here since we opened uh, that rents from us every week. Hmm. And that revenue stream has been very important for us to be able to do some of the things we've been able to do. Okay. Um, that rentals has been a good thing for us. So, so it's not about, for, for any pastor you may ask or may have, that thought process. It's never about money. It's about your vision and your mission and how you move that forward and the rest will follow. It, I, it, really, it really is. And to be able to – you have to be sold out to it. You can't give it lip service. Yeah. Uh, if, if you don't believe the vision, uh, you don't believe the mission, then you know don't, don't try to get them to go there. Uh, you, you, you have to be sold out both sacrificially, economically yourself – as, you know, just because we don't get paid billions of dollars, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't mean, that doesn't lessen our need to be sacrificial in our giving still, mm-hmm. and to be able to be a large participant in in the moving of the church forward. God takes care of us, and it's in miraculous ways. Um, I, I think that really loving the people and keeping to ask them what if and and if not, why not. Uh, those kinds of questions. Uh, Keep pushing them forward. Yeah, one of the things that we've that we've done here that has really, I think, been significant into our development as a church is we rarely have told anybody no. Hmm. Uh, we are really believe in the first rule of improv, which is yes and. Yeah, person comes to us and says, "I want to do so and so." We rarely say, "Oh no, you can't do that here." We usually say, "Well, who's going to do it with you?" And once we have a partner with them. Well, we need some money, and we'll give them a little cash, and let's see what happens. And if it fails, it fails. If it succeeds, it succeeds. But mm. be able to open the doors and try things, and not be able, not be, not never pour cold water on an idea. Yeah, you know, to let things sort of flourish and say yes, let's try it. Yes, let's try it. Yes, and uh, I think that'll make a huge difference. Another thing that for me, um, personally, mm-hmm. is sold out to grace. Um, mm. So absolutely clear. That none of my salvation is mine. 
Amen. Uh, it's a hundred percent God's. Yes. And we tend to we tend to spend, our denominational heritage sometimes wants to hold on to a little credit somewhere. You know, mm, if mm. I keep the Sabbath just right, then that's sure. that gives me a little bit more closer to God or right. merit or something. Extra brownie points, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And and to really believe, hey, you know, I am saved by God's grace alone. Amen. That's taken care of. So don't don't spend any energy worrying about all that stuff. Uh, just be able to relax and enjoy that, and now go love some people and and, and care for them. So basically. For whoever may even have those thoughts in, in their heads, well, it's easy for Andy because he's over there at Florida Hospital, and that's why they just say, you know what, it wasn't always this, uh, the case. This is what I'm hearing you say. It wasn't always the case. On top of that, it's not about money. It's about mission. Mm-hmm. It's about a vision that will follow. Um, as you uh, also said, it's about loving people yeah. and leading people is, is kind of what I mm-hmm. grasp you, you right. know, saying. And, and wherever you're at, just do that and move forward and don't worry about anybody else. Right. Just worry about what God, the ministry that God has given you. And I had an associate that was one of my favorite people to work with ever, and he, used to, he taught me that there's no such thing as an easy job. Yeah. Everything's going to be challenging. There, there have been days I wanted to quit, uh, hmm. lots of those opportunities. I had some, some rough times that happened to me right after our consultants were here even, where for the first time in many years, uh, multiple years that I had even thought about going somewhere else and actually made some calls and said, hey, you know, hmm. I'm thinking about maybe making a change. You got anything open <laughs> there? And then I went to – I was actually at a leadership conference for Willow Creek, and uh, Bill Hybels was the opening speaker. And I was sitting at, here in town somewhere at a, at a church listening to it, and he was talking about calling. Hmm. And I listened to his first talk, and I got up and walked out and said, told my team, I said, guys, I'm not going to be here the rest of the day. I got to go. It's because God called me here. I'm convinced on that. And I really shouldn't be going anywhere else until God calls me somewhere else. Hmm. And when he calls me, I should be anxious and ready and willing to go. Uh, but I should let him do that moving me, not me not me orchestrate any of it. <laughs> wow. Um, that's fantastic. And um, before I let you go, thank you. I know it's been almost an hour, <laughs> and it's been fascinating. At least to me it has, and I hope it's, um, it is to others. Because uh, I think it's important for us, and it's part of why we're doing this podcast, is to uh, let pastors know some of the inner workings of of other pastors, big churches, small churches, and just everything else in between that we've been doing. We had one on church planting, and and uh, we'll have more on that. So it's 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 good for people to understand about what are the makings of a church like Florida Hospital Church that, again, in our community is well known, um, and where it was, uh, where it is, and where it's going. Um, because, like you said, you're not stopping here. You're always wondering what's next. Right. And I think um, the church has come a long way. So, and looking back, 30-plus years of ministry here at Florida Hospital Church, uh, normally we'll say, give me the top three, but for the sake of, of uh, your time, uh, just give me the top two things that you've learned about yourself as a pastor and um, so, so a personal aspect. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of mentioned some, but just two specific aspects about yourself and about leading Church, period. Not necessarily Florida Hospital Church, but any church. Two things. Top two things. Have a great spouse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what if you're like Paul? (laughs) Have a great spouse. Have a great spouse. Okay, sure. I agree with that. I I got a great spouse. If if we're like Paul, if if we were like Paul, have have great supportive people. Okay, Uh, sure. Having people where you can share your life and your challenges that, that will listen to you and challenge you back. Uh, accountability partners. Mm-hmm. I've had. I've always had accountability partners. People that will ho- hold me accountable mm-hmm. and p- pray with me and hear stories that nobody else gets to hear. Um, that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, have have that. I think. Boy, I, I've, I've said it before. But I'm going to say mm-hmm. it again. I I really think getting in touch with loving people. I I think that what I've learned about myself is that I just really like people. And and being able to love them is a positive is a real positive for me. Okay. Um, there's, um, I just think, I, I know when I get a little discouraged with all the work of church, I just go and I, I just go be a pastor. I just go visit somebody in the hospital or go sit in somebody's front porch and sure. talk. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is a good job. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, sure. <laughs> um, so those are two things I would say personally, right? Have, right. A, have a good spouse, have a good partner, people you can relate with, love people. Um, and then as a leader in a church, I guess, and I guess you can, you know, they're interrelated. I grant mm. it. I understand that. But specifically in church leadership, besides those two, two, two things that you would, you would tell the, the younger Andy 
uh, no, as I said, younger. Yeah, right. Uh, th- <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thirty <laughs> uh, years ago, what would you what would you tell them? Let me kind of add that to maybe help you. I, I would say, um, because because of grace, to live a life without fear, um, no no fear. Uh, the the big things are all taken care of. So to, to to really be bold and challenging challenging the processes, challenge the processes of your local church, challenge the processes of the community you live in, challenge mm. the process of the conference and the denomination that you serve, and just challenge the process. Not not to tear down, to challenge it to, to how you can make it better. Yes. How you can you how can you take it to its next level and be able to say, okay, we can do this, but but what can we do in addition to this? How can we make that more? Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. That, that was one. I, I said two, but I'll leave it at one. I'll leave it at one. So, so my last, I'm kind of going to start something new. So my last three questions of oh, the day are rapid fire questions. So the first thing that comes to your mind, and you're the first person I'm going to do this with. I want to do it with uh, more of, of, of the people that come online. Something fun. So uh, here we go. Are you ready? Three quick ones. They were not on the predisposed questions that I gave you, gave you before, but they're easy. Don't worry about it. So okay. if you were, here's number one. If you weren't here, where would you be? Home. Home, okay. <laughs> What's your favorite food? A mashed potato salad. Mashed potato salad. You're a simple man, Andy. Simple man. Mashed potato salad. And uh, lastly, but not least, uh, what is your hobby? What do you do as a hobby? I, I almost anything outdoors. I just bought a brand new uh, paddleboard. Awesome. I have a 16 foot Hobie. I love to sail. Really? I still like to water ski. Um, I like to snow. Love to snow ski. That's the worst thing about living in Florida. So, yes, that's <laughs> but could out, be a problem. Being outdoors, um, doing something outdoors, or fixing something that's broken, which is a lot like working at church. <laughs> yes, yes. No wonder you're a pastor, Andy. Thank you so much for your time. I highly appreciate it. I hope that uh, uh, people who listen will be blessed by hearing your story here at Florida Hospital Church. And we thank you for what you are doing, what you will continue to do. God bless you. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pastor Andy McDonald. And I'm sure he's given you a few things to ponder about regarding vision, mission, and leadership. And if you're ever in the area in Orlando on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. or at noon, I encourage you guys to stop by Florida Hospital Church and worship with them. I want to personally thank Pastor Andy for taking the time to do this podcast and also for Chad in helping us produce this podcast there at the church. So until next time, God bless you all. As always, if you have any questions regarding any of the podcasts or thoughts on what you believe would make a great podcast, please let me know. Email me at javier.diaz, that's J-A-V-I-E-R dot D-I-A-Z at floridaconference.com. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.